With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Kings are the Kings. He wins it back to Foley. Scores! No way! No way! With no time remaining. Great pass from Dowdy down. Wagner, down the middle, scores! First career goal, Austin Wagner. Here's Luff looking for his first, scores! Matt Luff, first NHL goal, and the Kings have the lead. What's Luff got to do with it? it's recording now it's not there we go now it's finally recording (laughs) oh technology problems okay hello and welcome to another special edition of crown conversations i am joined today by harrison from arctic ice hockey he is a winnipeg jets fan so thanks for joining me today harrison thanks for having me so the Jets. I thought that the Preds were a conundrum wrapped in enigma or whatever the expression is. The Jets are just a conundrum. They had, I think, the weirdest offseason that I've seen in a long time. What is the plan with the Jets? Um, <laughs> really good question. I, I honestly don't really know. Um, Winnipeg is... Uh, there's about like 10 rumors every day with this team and it's kind of hard to get a read on, on what exactly the players are feeling, what the coaching staff is feeling. Um, I think their most significant off season signings that were free agents were uh, Mark Latestu and Gabriel Bork. Um, and as you can imagine, neither has been all that sterling for the jets. So we're kind of left with an interesting hodgepodge of, of the talent that they already have, which is, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, they have a lot of young talent, um, but it's mostly on the forward side of things. Um, I'm sure most people are aware now that Jacob Truba is no longer here. Dustin Bufflin is rumored to be retiring. Uh, so there's there's just not a lot going on on the back end. Um, and the first few games of the season have been pretty chaotic. So as for what the plan is, good question. I don't know if they're just going to kind of ride it out and, and hope to to maybe get some kind of a high pick in this deep draft or if they're going to try and really make a playoff push. I think Bufflin announcing his retirement sort of threw a monkey wrench into everything. But admittedly, he did that just before camp, didn't he? Supposedly, and I don't I don't know which part of this is true, but this has probably been an ongoing issue for several months. Um and there may have been at least an inkling that this was going to happen at some point um, this during this offseason. 
but yeah, as far as that going public, it, it happened <laughs> right before camp, and he hadn't really been training at all. He didn't show up to his the beauty league games, which he likes to do as part of that charity tournament. Um, I think he was mostly just fishing. So uh, they, I think he and the wheelers didn't go on some, some sort of family vacation that they usually do. A lot of weird stuff going on. So it sounds like uh, as far as Bufflin's time in Winnipeg is concerned, it's probably over. Hmm. So speaking of Bufflin, how much do they miss his presence? Big buff on that back end. Uh. <laughs> Uh, for the most part, our defense is, is held together by uh, essentially shoestring and uh, that kind of that stick glue that you used to have in elementary school. I think uh, we, we're, we're running Anthony Potato, Carl Dahlstrom, um, I think Dmitry Kulikov. Sometimes I actually forget who we put out because they kind of constantly change different depth defensemen. And these are guys that on most NHL rosters are either in the press box or getting maybe eight to 12 minutes a night, not a whole lot, uh, but, but not in Winnipeg in Winnipeg. They're, they're kind of getting some top four minutes uh, or if they aren't getting top four minutes, they're getting like really, really high leverage situations like the PK and stuff, which as you can probably guess, isn't going so well. But the jets but, are what? Five and four, right? Uh, it, it's either five and four or four and five. I don't know. This, the record is very, very flattering for the way that they're playing. I've I've maybe seen playoff hockey for about forty minutes this season, um, and the rest of it it, it kind of depends who they're playing. I mean, if they're playing an actual team that that kind of stresses and pushes them, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll admit this is a very difficult um, start to their schedule. There's a lot of travel uh, and a lot of stuff going on, but even still, this team just they're they're entertaining, but they're not particularly good. Um, at least Patrick Liney and uh, the new rookie defenseman, Vili Heinola, have been really good. And I think Nick Ehlers is, is kind of masking some of the issues with the top six. Shifley and Wheeler, man. <laughs> Wheeler especially is is kind of, he's looking pretty bad these days. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that because you, you brought him up. I was like, yeah, but I thought Wheeler was bad. <laughs> yeah, he kind of went from being one of the best playmaking wingers in the league to past couple of seasons everything for him is declining. I mean, his, his box scores look great, right? But a lot of those points are sort of coming on the power play. Um, but like his even strength stuff is just not there. Um, I don't know if he's fighting off injuries and aging, uh, but you know, his contract extension is just starting to kick in. And if this is what he is going forward, he's kind of an anchor on this roster. I mean, his contract is, is not particularly great. So they sort of rushed into that contract extension, I felt, and I really, I really think that they needed to make maybe wait another season since his his deal wasn't expired when he extended. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more um, of what he's doing right now to get a sense of whether or not that contract was going to be worth it. I have a feeling they probably would have extended him anyways because he's the captain and it's Blake Wheeler. But eh, this may be a contract that they start to regret pretty soon here. Five more years at an 8.25 million cap hit. That seems like tough sledding. It'd be one thing if like he, he was regularly getting the same you know amount of points that he was uh, as as last couple of seasons. Um, but he's defensively, he's just a shell of himself. I mean, he's kind of gliding through uh, his defensive reads, not really taking the man. He just doesn't look like the Blake Wheeler that, that we're all expecting. So I don't know what's up with him. It's kind of weird. 
Okay, so Patrick Laine. I think every day there's a rumor about Patrick Laine. Either he's getting traded or he's not. Either Paul Maurice loves him or Paul Maurice hates him. What's up with Patrick Laine? I think Laine had a really tumultuous season last year. They really tried to push him into a role that I don't think he was prepared for. Um, A lot of people were like, gosh, Laine is like the worst forward in the league. I'm like, well, if you actually watched each game and saw how they were using him, you'd start to notice some really weird trends. Like they wanted him to take almost every zone entry on his line. They asked him to kind of be more like a power forward. And I think Laine really struggled with that. And I don't think that he was overly fond of playing with Brian Little, which he um, (laughs) rather publicly vocalized. And I, you know, obviously that's not really the best thing for Laine to be saying publicly. Uh, But there is some truth in the fact that the coaching staff did not seem to know how to get the best out of him. Um, But this season's kind of been a different story. He could, he took, he took a bet on himself um, and took the bridge deal, which I think was a pretty good decision. Either way, he wasn't going to sign long-term. He wanted to maximize his money coming out of this bridge deal. Uh, And actually his bridge contract is still pretty expensive. So he's making good money. Uh, He's got a short term to prove himself. Um, But this year he's kind of hit the ground running. I mean, he looks like a legitimate bonafide top six forward. Um, All of the stuff that he was working on last season and during the soft season really seems to have hit another level. I mean, he's playing like one of the best playmakers on this team. And really he has been one of Winnipeg's best skaters overall. So, um, you know, I, I, I have hope that they'll find like a long-term extension here after this bridge is over. Um, And I think that generally speaking, I, I can't really speak to his relationship with the coaching staff, but I hope it's better. Um, I think that they've they've definitely given him line mates that are a bit more suited to his skill level. Uh, he's playing with Shifley and Wheeler on the top line most of the time. Um, he did get one demotion to like the third line earlier in a couple of games this year, but other than that, he's had uh, prime deployments. Um, and he's kind of running with it. I mean, he's had six to eight points so far, so he's having a good start to the season. Sometimes I forget he is actually so young. You know, these guys who come in the league and they're 18 years old and they're supposed to be a star as soon as they step into the league. And then the second that they show any form of being human and not an absolute perfect robot playing, I'm sorry, hockey playing robot, then people kind of turn on them. But really, Line is 21. Who's to say that his struggles aren't really just growth issues of being such a young person? Yeah, and I think in in a lot of ways, the way that Winnipeg kind of plays hasn't really suited his particular skill set. Some of the stuff that the Jets have have asked him to do or that the team does, um, they aren't really a match for his skill set. And sometimes they try and force him to align to what they want, which I I think you you do have to do that in certain situations, but other scenarios you kind of need to let Line A breathe a little bit. and he needs he needs room for growth. He needs room to make mistakes. And I think this season he's really starting to round out his game. Um, and the coaching staff has given him a lot more license to do his thing. So overall, I think that situation is getting better. Um, he's not the he's not the young forwards I'm I'm particularly worried about at this point. So. Who on the roster for the Jets would you consider somebody who is kind of a quiet playmaker who doesn't really get a lot of prestige, just kind of goes about doing their job, but they're absolutely somebody that you should probably watch out for. 
Uh, that one's easy for me. The, Andrew Cop has to be the, the discussion this year. Cop um, has been the de facto uh, second line center until tonight uh, with Brian Little's return. But Cop was uh, manning the second line with Kyle Connor. Um, and sometimes they change up their, their right wings a couple of times. Uh, but that whoever is on that line with Cop, they've just been killing it. I mean, it's it's been absolute bliss with Cop as a second line center. Um, he's got a really good knack for for an aggressive forecheck, great puck distribution, great positioning. He does all of these smaller things really well um, and also has a knack for getting in, uh, towards the net front area uh, and generating a, generating a lot of scoring chances. So Andrew Kopp, that's that's the name I'd circle right now. Okay, good to know. So the Jets, let's just call them 500. Uh, if they don't make the playoffs, what does that spell for Paul Maurice's future as head coach? I honestly don't know. I I feel like he should be more on the hot seat than he is, um, but it does seem like he has a pretty good reputation in Winnipeg, and, and this year is like the first year where even some of the really diehard fans who'd never criticized the team have started to turn on him. I think if the Jets continue losing games um, and struggling, I, I do think that he will be on the hot seat before the end of the season. I just don't know. It's hard to get us read on it. I mean, the, the Latesto and Bork signings to me seemed exactly like the kinds of guys Maurice would request. He has like a really specific gritty veteran type that he likes to deploy. Um, so when he gets those signings, to me, it says that he's still in the team's good graces. Um, I, I think that there is probably something to the concept of, of there being a bit of a, a managerial struggle between him and the front office. Um, I think they have slightly different visions of how they want this team to operate. Uh, so... Going forward, I don't I don't really know. It's hard to say. Um, but I think if the Jets don't start winning some games here, I mean, it's it's going to be, they're going to have to be some real tough questions asked. I mean, it's rare that a coach has this much talent at his disposal um, and really hasn't had all that much to show for it in recent times. Do you think maybe they'd finally uh, bring down the hammer if the Jets missed the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you look at that defense, and I think most people don't really expect the Jets to make the playoffs this year. So it's kind of hard to say if they'll use that as an excuse or if they'll say, no, no, you still need to perform. Um, and we don't like the trends that we've been seeing over the past few seasons. You've got to, it's time to make a change. Winnipeg is, is notoriously tight-lipped about this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's really hard to say if Maurice is all that in danger. I, I think... He has some habits that are that are pretty bad um, and that I think are, are holding the Jets back right now. Uh, but, you know, he did have the 2017-2018 the season, um, and that was some of the best hockey the Jets have ever played. So I, I think it's a real tough call for Winnipeg's front office. I think my personal opinion is it's probably time to start investigating a coaching change, but I've said that for a long time now. <laughs> so I don't I don't think he's all that in danger right now. Maybe this will finally be the year, Harrison. I don't know. They like uh, they like their tough, gritty guys. I mean, he really gives a heck of a press conference. Um, if you listen to him talk, I mean, the guy is just, he's a genuinely great, funny interview. So maybe they like that kind of stuff. Uh, that doesn't really say much for, you know, the product on the ice, but hey, at least he's really personable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so... Bell Place has typically been kind of a 
held a cold reception for the Kings. They've typically struggled to win in that building. So what do you think we're going to see? Uh, God, when is this game? Tomorrow? No. Monday? Two- what day is it? <laughs> I actually don't even remember the schedule. At this point, all the games are starting to blur together. Right? Um, okay. Let me look at the schedule. I have it up right here. It is on Tuesday, the day after tomorrow. Okay. So, Bell Place typically has a cold reception for the Kings. They they often struggle to score goals. Um, what do you think we're going to see in that game? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I mean, the, the Jets, uh, right now they're actually struggling against uh, the Oilers. Um, it's, this is a nothing-nothing game that's gone into overtime. And I, I, I just have a really hard time getting a sense of where this team is. They show flashes of, of a lot of offensive talent. Um, and of course, they have all of this high-end goal-scoring ability. But the rest of the team is just so mediocre. I just don't really... I don't really get a sense that it's going to be all that exciting of a game. It's probably going to be something of a slot fest. Um, unless the Kings, I know that they're they're more than a little depleted depleted these days. Um, but it, it could be a bit of a grind. I mean, I don't think either of these squads are, are in any position to, to start pegging themselves as favorites. In theory, the Jets <laughs> should. <laughs> I think the Jets should absolutely be favorites, but they certainly don't play like it. So hard to say. Yeah, inconsistency is a big thing that has plagued the King season this this year so far. So you really never know what you're going to get. Some days you're going to get like where they drop seven goals on Nashville. And other days you're going to get where they blow four goals against Calgary. Or I guess it was three goals. But I mean, still, I mean, you Maybe they'll maybe the Jets will win eight to two, or maybe they'll get blown out eight to two. Who knows? It's really hard to say with either team. Yeah, I, I just have a generally mediocre feeling about everything. I, I probably the Jets are probably going to get a win. It's going to be a close one. Could even go to overtime, um, or the Jets decide, hey, we're actually going to you know use our firepower for once. Uh, but it, <laughs> the Jets are just such a mediocre team with so much talent, and it baffles me as to how. They continually disappoint. Well, you don't have Ilya Kovalchuk, so I can't explain that one to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay without that one. (laughs) You sure you don't want him? I'll take a bag of bucks for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he and his like what six and a half million dollar cap hit. (sighs) Yeah, actually, it's funny. Uh, Last year there were trade rumors that he was willing to waive his no move clause. I think it's a no move clause. Anyway, um, he was willing to to wave it and go anywhere. He's like, yes, even Winnipeg. <laughs> and uh, I kind of hate to say this, but like nobody ever wants to go to Winnipeg. Yeah, that's that's the running joke. I mean, we don't have Wi-Fi or uh, <laughs> or airports, as it were. All right. Well, one last question: uh, the goaltending. That's one thing we haven't really touched upon yet. Um, Hellebuck has really, he didn't really grab the reins like everyone thought he would. And then he sort of struggled and petered out. And then Laurent Brossois, I don't know if he's really a better option. So this is kind of a funny thing because Hellebuck, the start of the season has been a little rocky. Uh, He's definitely settled down over the past few games. I think in a lot of ways, 
every year we have goaltending issues and a lot of it just seems to be the coaching staff. Um, Hellebuck has picked up a lot of weird habits that are sort of uh, that either he came into the team with or he started picking up from the Jets um, as he's trained with the coaching staff. Um, and it's definitely that he has franchise potential. He has all of the all of the attributes and skill sets and techniques to be a dominant goaltender. Uh, so for him to struggle um, as often as he has has kind of been something of a mystery. Um, I like Persuas. I think he's actually never really had a fair chance, and I think that he was very underrated when he was in Edmonton. I think the Oilers being as as awful as they were sort of masked um, the fact that relative to the rest of the goaltending staff there, he was doing pretty decently. Um, so I think he's had a decent chance to sort of redeem himself. This year, he's kind of been eh, a little hit or miss. Um, but with the Jets' defense as bad as bad as it can be, um, sometimes it's a little bit hard to get a read on how the goalies are handling things. Uh, but I, I would say Hellebuck in recent times is looking looking on the ups, um, and we can only hope that he maintains that because he's going to be very very busy this year. Well, Harrison, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you want to uh, shout out your socials? Uh, I am HL Living Loco on Twitter, and that's that's pretty much all of my account names everywhere. So if you guys want to follow me or listen to me rant about the Jets, that's where I complain the most. Um, otherwise, thanks for having me, and it's been a great time. Good luck to the Jets this season. I would say go Kings go, but that's kind of betraying me. So <laughs> Fair enough. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome back to Crown Conversations. Joining me now is Dimitri. Uh, one of our newest writers. Welcome, Dimitri. Hey, Robin. Good to be back. Glad to be here again. So, first, some news. Gabe Velarde is expected to start skating again. Oh, when I read that tweet from the mayor himself, I nearly fainted. I did a fist pump right where I was standing, and I had to stop myself not to yell because it's a little bit late where I'm at, but I was so ecstatic, even though I know it might not be anything because, I mean, last time he skated, he only played, in, I think, four games for Ontario and didn't really do too much. Just hearing the news of him being back on the ice just, you know, frankly, it made my heart melt. I was really excited. I was telling Sarah, I feel like he's kind of like the Bigfoot of LA Kings prospects because it's like, oh, it's a sighting. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, but it's just good to have him like back in the mix, you know? I mean, it's just just at least to hear that he's skating. And, and we'll see kind of with time. Um, obviously, this week, I guess, he's going to be back on the ice so they can make some evaluations and whatnot. And he might end up playing in Ontario sometime this next week, hopefully, right? But um, just to add to the talented prospects pool, prospect pool that we already have, throwing Velarde into that mix again would just be 
insane. I don't even think it would be fair. It would be such huge news if he can be healthy. And I'm not even trying to say this from a selfish point of view, although part of me is looking at it selfishly, but I mean, just like, man, you worked your whole life to get to this point. How badly would it suck if this back injury were to like derail his career even before he began? So I mean, part of it's selfish and then part of it's also like, well, I mean, just for him, I, I hope he, he gets better. Yeah, I mean, as Kings fans, as people, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people around the hockey community, they don't want to see talent go to waste. And, you know, he's a former first round pick, right? And although he plays for the Kings, I'm sure there are people out there um, just as regular good people who would like to see um, a, a young, talented player like that have, have his uh, future start to come to fruition a little bit in the hockey world. So speaking of first round picks, Tobias Bjornfoot was uh, sent to Ontario, which was a little disappointing, but not surprising. The other person sent to Ontario was country mate uh, Carl Gunstrom. I was not very thrilled with this and it came on the heels of back-to-back shutouts. I was like, really? You're going to send one guy who's actually got offensive talent to the minors? Cool. Yeah, I have to imagine that part of the reason that at least Grunstrom um, got sent back. I could see why uh, Bjornfoot got sent back because I think they may, the Kings may do something where they don't want to use him right now, but they want to use him later and they want to kind of control his time um, with the club and maybe not send him back to Sweden just yet. Um, But for Grunstrom, you know, I, I imagine he... I imagine the front office just kind of wanted to keep him out of the losses. I mean, I couldn't really understand why else they wouldn't want to keep him there because he is productive. He's, you know, buzzing around uh, the ice, obviously, when we saw him. I think he got a point in that game that he played in. Um, so he is, he has proven to be productive, and he had that, what, 15, 16 games under his belt last season as well, too. But, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder why – I can't really think of much of another reason why he would be sent back down. Yeah, in 15 games last year, he had five goals and I think five points. So that puts him on pace, I think, for roughly 30 goals or something is what I I calculated. I I can't actually remember at this point, and and math is too difficult for me to do right now, (laughs) um, actually ever. But it was a little bit surprising and and frustrating but I guess for a player like Grunstrom who you can really play up and down your entire lineup right now at this moment there isn't really a good spot for him I mean the first line and the fourth line are clicking it looks like after how many games have they played eight nine eight they played eight. eight thank you it looks like after eight games the second and third lines are finally starting to realize uh that they've met and that they play hockey together uh in the in the flames game i was like oh these guys actually look like teammates instead of people on the ice who have literally met for the very first time yeah um and i touched on that a little bit i tried to talk a little bit about like secondary and tertiary scoring last time um, but, but I mean, what can I even say about that TLC line, which is, 
I don't know if I can take credit for it. I maybe I'm the first one to say it, but that it's the um, that second line with Toffoli, Lazat, and Carter. Uh, you know, give me a little bit more TLC, right? They have been absolutely killing it. I think they uh, those three specifically, and we can key in on even more than just that line, um, specifically some individual players in that line. Um, but they have been lighting it up and it doesn't always show in the box score, but if you watch the games, you can really kind of see them clicking the wheels are turning. Um, obviously I don't think Lazat has gotten a goal yet, but Toffoli of course has lit the lamp, I think three times already. And Carter got his first goal, um, in Calgary. And that was just a matter of time because he's just hitting the post and he couldn't really buy a goal. Um, for a few a few game stretches there, um, and it was good to get. It was an ugly goal, uh, I will say, but uh, deserved nonetheless. So yeah, that second line, really killing it. The idea is that ugly goals can usually jumpstart a guy. So here's hoping that's the same for Carter. Yep. I did. I did feel bad for him in the Buffalo game because he looked like one of the most actually productive players. And the sad part is. He couldn't buy a darn goal to save his life. He was trying so hard, but I kind of felt like he was the only one trying in that game. Okay, that's not fair. There were some people who were trying, but other people were just kind of like lost, it felt like, in that game. But Carter was very consistent, and I was just like, I think he had probably four or five just dangerous, super dangerous chances, but I mean, what can you say that at Carter Hutton is just, he's really hot right now. Yeah, I, for one, couldn't really believe that. I think we had 47 shots on goal, yeah. almost like three away from, you know, eclipsing a 50-shot game. Like, that's crazy. Um, it's not something that I would have expected uh, this early in the season yet. Um, and obviously, you know, all the shots aren't necessarily as quality as, you know, clo shots closer in on net or, you know, rebound shots or trying to pull some loose change back um, to try and score. But even still, uh, like you said with Carter, he was buzzing up and down the ice and he was really uh, competing. He definitely was competing in there. To be fair, there were some, uh, some other players who were playing. You can always count on guys like, you know, Clifford and Lewis to compete. And of course there were some lower line guys who were, they're never going to stop rolling basically and buzzing around the puck. But um, for Carter, I saw him get in some foot races and beat some players to the puck. And I was like, dang, I definitely didn't expect this from Carter. Not after last season. Last season was just so strange for Carter. And I think he, you know, a lot of fans, we like to joke about Dustin Brown coming into the into camp in the best shape of his life and then having like his best season ever or whatever. And then it finally actually did happen for Dustin Brown. So I kind of feel like for Jeff Carter, last year was a down season. He knows it. The team knows it. I think he just, I don't want to say he's living up to his contract, but I just think that it's just, that's not who he is. He knows he can be a better player. So this year he is a better player, mm -hmm. but it's early. So yeah. I, I don't want to like <laughs> make any assumptions yet. Yeah, and and not to get too uh, not to get too deep into this topic, but um, you also can kind of point, I think, a little bit to less of a defensive responsibility 
um, from not playing center anymore. I think that kind of relieves some pressure, kind of took a little bit of pressure off his back to kind of drive that line. Um, and I think he's doing an even better job at kind of driving that line alongside Lazat uh, in that winger role. Um, and I think that was a really smart move by, uh, you know, King's Brass to kind of put him in that position to kind of just, I mean, they must have told him something like, hey, just worry about scoring, just figure out, you know, follow the game plan, but just worry about trying to get some something into the net or, you know, hey, you don't have to worry so much about defense or pulling back. And that's not even a deficiency in his game that I can see as of yet, although it's only eight games into the season. Uh, I mean, talk about a wondrous move to the wing, right? You know, it's really interesting. I forget who said it on um, somebody on Twitter. It was like either Mayer or Dennis Bernstein or somebody who. The usual suspects. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they pointed out that under Todd McClellan's system nowadays, everybody shares responsibility. It's not just the, the centerman anymore who gets the lion's share of defense responsibilities. Now everybody has to be responsible and support each other. So it's a lot more, I, I'm not going to, I have no idea like what one, three, one or three, three, whatever. I'm just talking about like three guys, three forwards on the ice are supporting each other. And then the defensemen are supporting the forwards in an equal role. So all five guys on the ice, nobody is more responsible defensively for a play happening than the other. Cause at least in theory, uh, they're supposed to all be working in in tandem. Well, maybe not tandem, but, you know, in, in concert. Since right. tandem Work, is just yeah. two. Yeah, well, working alongside each other defensively and offensively, kind of sharing that burden. And, yeah, I think you can see uh, a little bit of that in the way the Kings are, are playing now. Um, and I'm sure that will kind of develop and start to – uh, flourish and blossom a little bit as the season goes on. And I think that's just going to be something that the Kings can bank on because a lot of them obviously have a history playing for very defensive minded, a very defensive minded coach, right? One, two cups. Um, and that kind of never really goes away. So I don't think that's ever going to be a problem with some of those top line guys, those guys who are there for a cup or two cups. Um, but sharing that burden, I think makes it a little bit easier to maneuver the puck up and down the ice. So, big surprise of the season so far, the Kings are good. And their record doesn't reflect that, especially with back-to-back shutouts to uh, Buffalo and... Carolina. Carolina, thank you. <laughs> My mind totally went blank. You're good. Like, those, <laughs> those guys in white and red. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Canucks, and I was like, no, that's not right. Anyway, um, but... So far in this very young season, and I I put an emphasis on small sample sizes, so, you know, I'm not getting my hopes up, Mm -hmm. but all the statistics and the charts and everything say that the Kings are good and that they actually should be scoring this many goals. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Yeah, it's um, funny that you mentioned that I actually was taking a look um, at some of the team stats on Corsica Hockey. So if you guys get a chance, go ahead and go over there. I was looking at their expected goals metrics. Ooh, fancy stats, you know, put a monocle on and a mustache and a top hat, right? Um, but uh, they're actually third in expected goals for, and they're in good company. 
uh, Carolina is at the top and then Vegas is right underneath and then it's LA and then an expected goals for per 60 minutes they are first with 2.82 so that is that was really interesting I didn't expect that I mean obviously when you have games where you're shooting out shooting your opponent almost like two to one you're gonna have to imagine that some of those goals that are aren't going in I mean especially in that shutout right uh against uh buffalo some of those goals that aren't going in well they're worth something to the uh harder harder core <laughs> analytics community um so i think it's only a matter of time for some of those some of those goals to start kind of sliding in right i yes um i i mean not every game you're gonna win it for one or you know four three or seven four or whatever mm -hmm. but i mean i don't small sample sizes and everything but they really look legit and that's that's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around so i mean yeah they're gonna have a lot of frustrating losses because mistakes will happen and expected goals is really just based on you know a <laughs> really a series of numbers and and, and they they and, and based on i think shot right. location and not yeah. 100 sure yeah um we don't have to dig into it too much but there's like several different like six different types of goals that they account for that are accounted for by the nhl and that are tracked and it has to do a little bit with location and all that good stuff but yeah essentially goals that are supposed to go in based on some sort of st statistical metric and i sound so dumb right now i'm so sorry i'm sure there's people like there's like a hockey head screaming at me like what is this guy talking about he has no idea but whatever i'm trying to dumb it down as much as i can or i'll try and explain it you know the way that i know it but yeah there's several different shot types that they account for and the higher quality ones are expected goals basically like the ones that are coming in closer um they're not blocked shots and there are some different characteristics that kind of go along with that but anyways yeah yeah so okay I, I i'm looking at this now so sean tierney who is at charting hockey on twitter um one of his uh counts towards expected goal shares is um how much a team is shooting and la's in the top five and based on their talent on the ice everybody definitely expected them to be not good and in some of the ways that they were playing i agreed they were not good personally i still don't think that they are going to be close to a bubble team but if they can at least keep up this you know expected shot rate over the whole season i think they're definitely going to be a lot more fun and so i don't know maybe todd mcclellan has finally learned something over the years yeah i mean as far as getting you know pucks on net or shooting at however dumb or cliche that is like just keep going for it you know they might dribble in one way or another they might produce a rebound they may you know get get someone in on net who might not have been there opens up some space right you just got to keep putting them on and if you keep out shooting teams like by margins of 10 or 8 or whatever the case is i mean i don't even know how many shots shots buffalo had but we had 47 so that's pretty darn good in my book but 
the more that they keep doing that, the more these games are going to be exciting. They're probably going to be higher scoring. And, you know, that's all better for Kings fans, I guess. But it's it's going to be a process. It's a long way to go. And I think as we discussed in our, lot, in our last podcast, their schedule is horrible. Their schedule is just, <laughs> at least through the end of 2019, their schedule is just, like, ridiculous. October, November, December are three of the toughest months that I've seen in their schedule in a long time. And they're consecutive. Yeah. I'm looking here. I'm trying to get a little peek at what we have next. Yeah, they have a, a couple tough road stands. Um, or basically that road stand to end October, which is going to be starting, uh, I think, tomorrow with Winnipeg. And then yeah, they so just have a, yeah, it just gets a little funky after that. Yeah, so, okay, they, they're in Winnipeg Tuesday, and then it will be on Thursday, they're going to see the Stanley Cup champions, St. Louis, which is still wrong to say. Sorry, St. Louis fans, if you're listening to this. Um, and Not that you would for any reason. Anyway, and then it's back to back with Minnesota and Chicago. And then they have one day off, they come home, and then they play the Canucks. Oh, that's a heavy schedule. I mean, that's a lot of hockey in a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, I wonder how that's going to impact the daily lineup. I'm sure it's not going to make any major adjustments, but in such a short span of time to play that many games, I have to imagine – Maybe, you know, we're getting past, we're getting close to the 10 game mark, something like that, that we might see some, some younger talented individuals at least getting a chance uh, or at least staying up for a game or two on a healthy scratch or something like that. Um, I, just off the top of my head, Prokorkin got pulled up. And I know we talked about earlier that, um, Grunstrom, that was when Grunstrom and Bjornfoot got reassigned to Ontario. They pulled up for Corkin. So that was kind of the other half of that. But what do you make of that? That was an interesting call up to me, Prokorkin coming or getting the call up uh, at the same time that Grunstrom went down. And so uh, I'd like to make a, a correction. I thought that they came home and only had one day between games after Chicago. They have two days, uh, and then they see Vancouver, and then two days, and then not the next day, but a day after that, on November 1st. I think it's November 1st. It's November 2nd, I believe they play Chicago. Oh, okay. So then, wait, hang on. uh Okay, so they actually have a lot more, a little bit more rest in their schedule this week than I thought they did. Um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I totally got us off track because I was looking at the You're all good. It kind of, it still looks a little daunting though, even when you look at it. Um, cause they did, they're going to be coming off of two days of rest from Calgary and then it's going to be a game and then rest and then a game and then rest and a game and then rest for the next four games on their road trip. Well, they do have that back to back in Minnesota. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I mean, in Chicago. Uh, yeah. And then they have two days, and then they have a game at home, two days 
and then a game at home, two days, and then they have a three-game road trip, uh, Toronto in Ontario, and I guess Quebec, and then two days, three games versus Minnesota, Detroit, and Vegas, and then a trip, quick trip to Arizona. So their their November schedule isn't quite as bad as their October schedule. October just felt like there were so many games. Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot shoved into a little bit of time. And I, maybe it has to do with them starting so late. They were like one of the last, I think they were the last team to play their first game. Yeah, they were the last know. team in the Yeah, NHL. scheduling has been, one. scheduling has been really weird. Didn't like, I know the Rangers played like three games in the span of like a, a week or something or like a week and a half or I, I don't even know. But yes, I don't know. For whatever reason, this year's scheduling, at least at the beginning of the season, has been a little odd for, for the NHL. But then again, you know, I don't expect them to do anything uh, in their right state of mind anyways. So who cares? Well, okay. Back to your question about Brokorkin. So I did think it was a curious call-up because I thought that they wanted to get him some serious playing time in Ontario. And then they decided to send Grunstrom and Bjornfoot down. So in exchange, they recalled for Horkin. And I'm like, okay. But I think that was only two days ago. I can't remember any. Every day feels like it's been a week. That's how my October is going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I seriously thought it was November already. And I was like, wait a minute. What do you mean we're only... We haven't even had Halloween yet, Robin. Come on, you're acting like uh like Walmart or Home Goods. They're already setting up for Christmas. Costco's been setting up for Christmas since August. I wanted to cry a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that, I kid well. you not. Like the the last week in in August, I saw them with already Christmas ribbon out, and I was like, no. no. The big box stores will get you. <sighs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so I do think that with the schedule coming up and depending on kind of how some guys are playing, I think that we are going to see Brahorkin soon. At least I hope so, because otherwise I don't know what the point is, because there's really no good reason for him to just kind of sit in the press box every night and be the 13th, 14th forward. Yeah, um, I don't. I didn't really know where to take this either. I thought it was a bit of an interesting call-up too, just because in the pecking order of things. Well, obviously, I'm not super familiar with Perkorkin because this is his first season um, over here within the Kings organization. But, I mean, I, I would peg some other forwards to kind of be ahead of him in that pecking order or as far as as far as um, individuals from Ontario who are you know, going to get plucked and going to get some playing time this season. Um, and I was a little bit confused as to why he got brought up. I thought maybe he had a chance to crack the lineup in Calgary, but that obviously wasn't the case. And now I think we're going to see, I, I agree with you. I think we're going to see some of him at some point during this road trip. Otherwise is he, buying a ticket back home and flying back uh to russia or is he 
going to be willing to stick it out and stay here in North America. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I think that's going to be the dichotomy for him throughout this coming season. I saw, I'm pretty sure it was Dennis Bernstein, but he was tweeting about the Kings and he's like, okay, well for Horkin is a small gamble for LA and if he makes it, he makes it. If not, whatever, because he's been technically in their system for what is he? He's 25. So seven years. If he can't, I kind of think that he got called up just because he's probably one of the closest NHL ready and he can probably handle in and out of the game a lot better than some of the kids who really need that playing time more consistently. That's a random theory. It may not actually be true, but that's the only thing I can really think of as to why they would play as to why they would call him up. I mean, but the other thing is, and this is again from Dennis Bernstein, he said that coaches are pretty reluctant to change the lineup after a win. So are we going to see it? a lineup change because they won against their nemesis Calgary? I think the only change that is pending is maybe McDermott. He might not be in the lineup. I don't know. He seems like one of the few healthy scratches where it's like, okay, you can see him playing against teams where they're going to need a little, you know, someone to stand up for, I mean, in this case, I imagine he was out there for, to be daddy's like, personal bodyguard right um but yeah I I could imagine that that's kind of one of the only major line changes that's going to be coming forward uh moving into their game against Winnipeg on Tuesday but really I can't see much being changed I think the Lions played really well um against Calgary and obviously that showed in the scoreline and um, to be honest with you, I wasn't really all in to kind of change gears here a little bit. I wasn't all the way in on Blake Lazat until I saw him play in this game against Calgary. Obviously, I had been taking some taking stock in who he was and trying to figure out who he was. And now that we're eight games in, I'm kind of ready to go all aboard the Lazat train. Uh, I know it's a little bit early, and I'm trying not to make too many judgments so early on, but I think he really has some solid skill, some raw talent, and he just does not quit. His motor is insane. Um, Obviously he's on the second line, but it's like, he's playing like a third or fourth liner. Who's just like gunning around the entire ice and buzzing to puck carriers. And he's creating some solid chances. And so, yeah, I really like him in that, that second line role. You know who he reminds me a lot of is Alex Ayafalo. So I was, I honestly was going to say, I'm not going to lie. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was thinking the exact same thing, but I wasn't sure if I was crazy or not. Cause it's like, he, he has that. I, I'm not sure what you were going to say, but he has that same sort of quality where like, maybe he's not scoring, but man, is he causing havoc and he's he, he very intelligent when he's playing on the puck and even away from the puck too. Yes, exactly. So I, I was just going to say that I used to call Alex Ayafalo, and I still kind of do to an extent, um, like a golden retriever, basically. So he would, what made him so effective in his, in Alex Ayafalo's rookie season is that he had zero quit 
he would go into a scrum and he would come up with the puck. And he was so great at distributing to Kopitar and to Brown or whoever else was playing on that wing. And so that's what I love about him. And the great thing about Lazat is that Lazat is a natural center, whereas Ayafalo is a winger. And so under Sutter's previous system, Ayafalo didn't quite have as much offensive responsibility, I guess, as because um, Sutter's have such a tough role, in my opinion. They have to score and they have to defend. They have to be everything all at once. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's why I really, that's what I really like about Lazat because Lazat kind of has that, that same fire. And I think part of it for Lazat is because he is like five foot seven. <laughs> He's a tiny boy. Yeah. The only thing that I have seen from him so far that I would, you know, criticize is that he just doesn't have enough meat on the bone i guess and that's just gonna come with time obviously uh yeah sometimes he gets bumped off the puck a little bit um or if he's racing to a puck and it's a 50 50 he's not gonna always win that battle but i think it, it will just come with time and i think he's he's still quite young obviously and this is his first professional season so um i think that's just gonna be i mean but the way that he's playing now to know that he's not probably fully physically developed is it's kind of a treat to be fair to him, I mean, he is 21, but also that whole, you know, he needs to be stronger so he doesn't get bumped off the puck any, as, as often, I really haven't noticed it that badly. And and to be fair to him, there was, um, a, God, I can't remember who they were playing. I think it was Nashville or, it, it, oh no, it was Carolina. Uh, Trevor Lewis got I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember who it was that they were playing. Trevor Lewis got bumped off the puck. Yeah. Um. Trevor Lewis, established, 32-year-old defensive specialist and mm -hmm. uh, king of everyone's heart. He got bumped off the puck. There was a turnover, and then the defense couldn't quite make that connecting pass and anyway there was another turnover and it and wound up in the back of the net so mm -hmm. I mean like I said to be fair to Lazat it really happens to everybody yeah um I think it does and that's just kind of the nature of the game I mean you are on ice and you are on skates and it's probably not the easiest thing to keep your balance all the time um but I yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess when you look at it that way, it's not as major of an issue. Um, and I think he more than makes up for it in his ability to handle the puck. I mean, I saw him do like two, two or three pivots and button hooks in a row. And when he's in that corner, man, is he elusive? Like, what is it? Like what, what did one of the coaches said something about being a mosquito in a dark room or something? I, I love that. That was hilarious. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I love that. I think that really aptly describes Lazat because no matter how hard you try to catch him, somehow he manages to evade you. And you're like, it's so small. How is this even possible? <laughs> well, 
he's he's magical. He's <laughs> he he's he's a mosquito in a dark room. That's how. Yeah. Um, to shift things a little bit, uh, moving down a line, uh, sticking with the centers. How how are you? What's your readout on Kempe so far? I'm genuinely curious to know what you think because all I've been hearing is he needs to show up. He needs to have a little bit more of an off offensive um, production. He needs to be there. We need to see him, you know, show up in a game. And I know he's had, he had some, a couple tough breaks in Calgary. He should have lit the lamp probably twice. I know he went off the, went off the pipes at least once um, on that power play. Uh, I think in the second period. Um, but I am still not, not too sure. Personally, I'm not too sure about how comfortable I am with him at center. So they talked about this uh, on the broadcast for Calgary. Uh, I mean, during the Calgary Calgary game, not the Calgary game. <laughs> uh, have I told you my October has been long? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. They talked about this during the Calgary game, and Alex Faust mentioned that Adrian Kempe is finally above 50% on the dot. And that's something that he's been working really, really hard at because he has been getting benched during face-offs because uh, the coaching staff didn't trust him. So I think that's something that he discussed with Todd McClellan over the offseason or during training camp or something like that. And and he's really been working at it. And it shows. I mean, being over 50% in today's NHL, that's downright average. And that's all you're looking for from, from, from Adrian, considering especially that he didn't really get converted to center, which I thought was an interesting move at the time. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't really get converted to center until like two years ago. And it was really weird because he was playing wing. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, you, Swedish kid, we're going to make you a center. And he's like, okay. But he hasn't. Oh, you know what happened? Now that I think about it, uh, he had to be forced into a role for center uh, while he was playing for the rain because they lost all their centers all at once. Like everybody got hurt. I think they were down to like two actual centers. And I think one of them was Brett Sutter. Yeah. And somebody else. And then there was there was some other AHL veteran. And then it was Kempe. And he hadn't played since junior. And for whatever reason, the Kings were like, I like this. You can be a center from now on. Yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think him playing center overlapped with Carter's injury. So that may have yes. also probably played into it too. But yes. similar to Jeff Carter this season, I think his raw talent would be served better on the wing than at the center position. So I'm curious if you think, if we're just looking at it, all things being equal, do you think he would be better as a center or on the wing? Considering that everybody has this shared defensive responsibility now, I don't really mind him as center. I mean, the, the role of center was really important for two reasons. One, face-off, two, defensive responsibility. But 
since everybody has an equal share of defensive responsibility now, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of him to perform defensive. And the thing that he can focus on is the thing that he started to get better at, which is the face-off. So, I mean, I don't think he's been really too terrible as a center. And I think that the goals will come. Hmm. And, like, he's only making $2 million, so... I really am not going to complain too much about him, especially if he is in a third line. It really doesn't matter to me if he's second line or third line, as long as somebody scores. <laughs> okay. Throw out the, throw out the numbers. I don't okay. care. <laughs> yeah, and I guess just to clarify, I I don't think he's been playing poorly at center necessarily either. I just think that he could be better serviced as a winger. And I think do more. And maybe it's just because I'm stuck in that way of thinking. I feel like uh, maybe I'm just being uh, a little, have, having a little bit of recency bias because I saw, we saw obviously Jeff Carter kind of take off this season. I think he's been playing excellent. And obviously he's got a goal and two assists. And, you know, I think he's playing a lot better than he was if he would have been at center. Um, and so maybe I, I think part of that is kind of playing into my idea of, I feel like, Kempe can also play there and hopefully, you know, pull up his season numbers a little bit. And I, I mean, I have to qualify that we're only eight games in, right? So there's a lot more, a lot more season left to be played. But um, it's just hard for me to shake that notion that that Kempe could be better serviced on the wing. You want to know what center I actually am all in on at his current position? Tell me. Michael Amadio. Oh, I'm such a big Amadio fan. I can't get enough of him. Actually, a couple games ago, um, I had penciled him in for snagging that 2C spot. I thought that Lazat didn't deserve it as much as Amadio did after the first, I think, three or four games um, that the Kings played. And I wouldn't have – I tweeted it out. I wouldn't have batted an eye if – he moved up to that second line center position. Um, obviously, Lazat is playing incredibly well. Um, but in my twisted mind, I would have loved to seen a line where Lazat got pushed down and Kempe got moved over to the wing. So my little fantasies are playing together in that scenario. <laughs> it's just that for some reason, uh, eight games in, uh, he is clicking so well with Lewis and Clifford and I really haven't seen a line on the Kings like that since the 70s line in the playoffs and I'm not I'm not comparing them to the 70s line and especially not in the playoffs because I mean that was such a dominant line all throughout 2014 but just the the chemistry and the the dangerousness dangerousness <laughs> just the <laughs> yeah. uh just the i don't i don't know uh i i can't say dangerousness because that's not a word it's but like just, there's like the threat that he offers on that on that line i guess is what you mean yeah yeah exactly i mean maybe they don't have the raw talent between the three of them to score a lot of goals but if they keep playing the way that they are, they're going to get a lot of dirty goals. And I bet you that they could score probably 15 goals each. 
Yeah, I don't think I'd even put that past them either. Uh, right now, Amadio's got two goals and two assists. And obviously, um, he, along with the entire Kings roster, were stifled between those games in Buffalo and – or the games against Buffalo, rather, and Carolina. Um, but, yeah, I think there is more to come from that line. Um, and I – I'm particularly excited to kind of see how that unfolds because having that fourth, like having a that fourth line scoring, especially in games where, you know, your, your top line doesn't show up, your first two lines aren't, aren't putting it together like that, that can be a serious, serious game changer. Yeah. So let's shift our attention to the upcoming road trip. Uh, we did talk about it a little bit in terms of who we might expect to to see in the game, but St. Louis is a good team. The Jets are perplexing at best. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, I have no idea what's going on there. And Chicago has, what, one win and three, and maybe they've played four games now. But they, they have like one win I think on the season not that you know LA can really brag about their their three wins yeah um I am not sure how many wins Chicago has but as far as Winnipeg is concerned you can kind of tell that they're going through it a little bit after losing I think it was Truba and Myers I think right in the offseason uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that must have been tough because that was a big chunk of the core of their defense. So I'm sure, well, I mean, uh, personally, I've been paying for it because I have Connor Hellebuck on my fantasy team, <laughs> full disclosure. But uh, I'm sure that hasn't helped um, in Winnipeg at the beginning of the season. I'm pretty uncharacteristic of them, in my opinion, that they're kind of so slow to start. Yeah, I was talking to Harrison of the of Arctic Ice Hockey, the Winnipeg Jets uh, SB Nation blog, and essentially what it kind of boils down to is they're in a situation that's a little bit similar to the Kings in that everything is just kind of giant shrug emoji. Nobody really knows what's happening, and, you know, it, it's a little bit, frustrating for them I would guess right um yeah and I think that's just gonna again sort of similar to the Kings yeah it might just take some time for them to sort things out um I'm sure they're they've been perennial contenders I'm sure they will probably find a way to kind of sneak their way at least into the playoffs um, that's looking well down the line. But then again, I'm not really qualified to talk about Winnipeg in any capacity. So there's also that. St. Louis has forever been a very tough opponent for them. And much like uh, MTS Bell Place, but Bell, whatever it's called, the Jets building. Yeah, uh, they're, that one. <laughs> Nationwide Arena, I believe it is the blue. No, shoot, whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna edit all this out later. Uh, the Blues building has long held discomfort for Los Angeles. 
hard to win there. Yeah, um, I th I think though with the new season and the new playstyle uh, that uh, Todd McClellan has been trying to implement, right? Um, it's gonna be different. I I'm gonna go ahead and go out on a limb and say that the Kings, regardless of them being away, um, regardless of them having one game of rest in between, that they can stick it to the defending Stanley Cup champions. I think this new this new system is going to benefit them in the sense that we don't have to um, fight, you know, you don't have to fight with a, an object in a hard place anymore, that we're a little bit more looser. There's a little bit more offense involved and, or I mean, offense, I mean, it's kind of odd to say that, but it's more, we're more offensively oriented and we have a little bit more free, more free space in the um, offensive zone, right? And I think that's going to play out and I think work a little bit more towards the Kings' benefit to be a little bit freer and a little bit looser um, than they were before. And I think it's going to work well against a team that's bigger, classically known for being a bigger, stronger team like St. Louis, who's going to take the fight to you a little bit. Okay, I'm going to make a bold prediction and I'm going to say that they're going to go 500 on this road trip. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> So you're saying we're clean across the board. How many points would that be? Four. Okay. Out of eight. Okay. I was I was thinking that anywhere from three to four would be good. Anything less than that, I'd, you know, probably shake my head and shed a tear, but I would know that <laughs> I would know that that's okay. You know, we're that's that's about right where I expect us to be. But anywhere from three to four would be okay good we're on we're on a good track in my opinion but yeah 500 that's bold that may come back to bite you i i think they have a really good chance of winning in both minnesota and chicago especially because um chicago sucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah might as well throw it out there they're not doing too too hot this season and like you said we are you know we're no laughing stock just yet um, but Chicago's definitely having a tough time kind of pulling things together. Yeah, they have two wins, and I think it was five or six games this season. So, you know, we're we're only one better than Chicago, but hey, we were only one better than them in 2014, so I will take it. Ooh, yeah, that is definitely a good way to put it. <laughs> Yes, I'm bringing back the past because right now that's all I've got. Hey, that's all we have. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was about to say. That's all we got. So, hey, why not throw it on them uh, in the present? But stop me if I become a Habs fan and I start talking about how many cups we have and we were so great and our history is amazing. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get there anytime <laughs> soon. But, you know, who cares? Well, we don't, <laughs> the Kings don't have, what is it, something like 21 cups into their name so yeah we don't have enough to afford us to lose count <laughs> like we know we have to and that's that yeah good enough for me all right well i think that's enough out of you and me tonight so let's try this again uh after the road trip yeah let's do it robin again thank you for having me i appreciate uh being on with you as always it was a lot of fun and let's see if that 500 prediction doesn't come back to bite you because i i honestly think it will two games just two wins yeah 
Eh, we'll see. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me, Dimitri. No problem. Thanks for having me, Robin. All right.